Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Locked In Baseball Podcast. And I want to take a moment to welcome our guest for today, uh, it's Tony Asaro. From, he's a recruiting coordinator at Loyola Marymount University, and he is, um, dude, man, you've been like all over the place, right? You, you've coached at Tennessee, Northridge, uh, but you're a SoCal boy. Uh, you're a Torrance boy, right? So thanks yep. for, thanks for yep. joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I've coached at too many places to keep track of sometimes. So it's a pleasure to be here, though. I'm, I'm glad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So um, here's what I got, right? So we talked about off the record, right? We talked about off the record you being not dull and not boring, right? So this is going to yep. be an exciting episode is what is what I took from that. I hope so. I don't know what I bring to the party, but we'll see where this thing takes us. I've been known to talk too much, and so you might have to just cut me off when we hit the time limit. So what do you want me to do? Is there like a safe word? Nope. Just hang up. Just hang up. <laughs> no, I won't I'll talk that. to myself for a couple minutes before <laughs> I know what's going on. Right at the 30-minute mark, just hit the, ah, we're good. Yeah. Ran out of memory yep. on my computer. Um, kids, kids and parents will be tired of listening to me by the time we get to that point anyway. No, I doubt that, man. You're, you're, I mean, I, I heard you speak at our camp in November with CBA and it was, uh, I mean, I hate to say I was surprised, but I kind of was, man. Like I didn't realize that you were that good of a speaker and that, you know, and that charismatic, like I knew you were like on a one-on-one level that you could be that way. I didn't realize that you had like public speaking abilities. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I think, you know, it, it's easier when you get put in a setting where you know what you're, you're going to be going into and, and you're in a situation where you're selling your program and LMU lets me, you know, be pretty passionate and excited about it and, and what we're trying to do. So I think the public speaking thing, is just, we don't really get put in those scenarios around you guys. You know, you see us at the fields running around and, and asking you questions all day. So <laughs> I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. So, okay. So I kind of want to just dive in and get into like, who is Tony Asaro? You know, I mean, you're a celebrity to me, but nobody. <laughs> you're a celebrity. No, you're not nobody. You're you're you you are somebody. You is beautiful. You is uh, you know, all that stuff. But uh, I I I really respect you as a coach. I respect you as a friend. Um, I uh, I don't think like again, like I told you, like a lot of you know, players and parents understand this whole college recruiting thing as much as they'd like to, and so we have guys on guys on guys like you on to help provide that information the best we can. Obviously they're not going to get everything from, from these types of um, podcasts, but at least they get something to take home and something to focus on and, and, um, and to um, maybe make an adjustment with how they go about, you know, handling their recruiting process with their own kids. So um, with you, you know, I kind of wanted to see, you know, like, you know, first and foremost, like what your, you know, what your journey was as a player, you know, how, um, uh, you know, I mean, what your experience was like there and then how you transitioned, how you transitioned into coaching and, and, you know, eventually how you got to LMU. Um, so a little bit about that and, you know, we could spend a few minutes there and then we can move on to the nitty gritty. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully I don't go too long. I try to get, I try to get through this stuff decently quick. It feels like I've been so many places now that, that it ends up, you know, I'm, I'm getting a rap sheet behind me, but I, uh, I played at West High in Torrance. Uh, in, in SoCal, I was born and raised there. And I think I was thinking about this while you were just while you were just speaking about how lucky you know these kids are. They can come on here and listen to you guys and get good information from you guys about recruiting and the process of what's going on. Because 
when I was growing up, neither one of my parents went to college. They were, they're unbelievable. My dad was a amazing person, supported the heck out of us. My mom, same thing, unbelievable support, but nobody knew anything about recruiting. And back then you didn't play on, you know, a bunch of different teams and you're trying to win all sorts of tournaments. Like you played, I played on one team my whole life, the Norwalk Stingrays from eight years old to 14. You know, I think that the next one I went on was maybe like when the Junior Olympics started and we didn't have another way to do that. And so that journey was pretty cool to, to getting recruited. I ended up going to Pepperdine University as a freshman out of high school as a catcher. Um, I ended up transferring to UC Irvine. Again, it was, I chose Pepperdine for a variety of things. A couple of things. One of my, one of my idols in high school was caught before me, kind of helped me out as I was growing up was going there. And one of my best buddies was going there as a pitcher. And I think I spent less time worrying about where I was going and class size and school and what the area was like. And while it was a neat place and a great place, it ended up not being a great fit. So I think that's probably something we'll get into at some point here during this talk is the fit and the idea of what you're doing. But I ended up transferring to Irvine, had an unbelievable career there as, as a player. Um, we got to go to Omaha in 07 and lost in the Supers in 08 and then hosted a regional in 2009 and had some amazing teammates. And I think from a, a player's perspective, uh, that, that was what I wanted to do. You know, I, I wasn't really concerned so much with pro ball and stuff until I got a little bit older in college and things like that. I was, I wanted to play in College World Series. That's what we grew up watching at my house. And, you know, obviously we were surrounded in Southern California, as, as you know, Joe, during those years where it was rocking and rolling at Fullerton and Long Beach and all that other kind of stuff when I was when I was growing up. And SC was still doing their thing. And so that was such an exciting time in Southern California for baseball, going to College World Series and getting to do that. I ended up transitioning from catcher to outfield for a variety of different reasons. Got drafted really late by the Cardinals as a right fielder, as an outfielder. Um, and I actually, I didn't sign my junior year. I went back my senior year, didn't get drafted that year. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I got called, I finished my degree and I got called by Nate Fernley over at El Camino college to be an assistant for 2000 bucks and mow the grass and coach the catchers and coach first base and, I said yes because I didn't have a job. So that was my uh, my intro into coaching. Was not even looking for it. I thought about being a fireman. I was actually taking EMT classes um, over at El Camino while I was teaching the first, or excuse me, while I was coaching that first year because I had no clue um, what I wanted to do. And so ran into Nate Fernley. Fern gave me an unbelievable opportunity to be a coach and and really pushed me into getting my master's degree. And probably gave me more responsibilities than any young guy could ever wish for, you know, at 21 years old, fresh out of college and getting to be on the field and having responsibilities. And um, the following year, I finished my master's. I got hired as a uh, assistant coach with a 60% load. So I started teaching classes at 22 over at El Camino. Uh, I transitioned into running the offense and the recruiting coordinator. Um, and all that kind of stuff. I had no clue what I was doing. I thought everybody could operate and, and, and transition into that role just like anybody could. You get used to seeing it done one way. And I thought everybody could be UC Irvine and play at that level and execute at that level. And I found out the hard way, uh, by getting punched in the face that that just wasn't the case. And so it was so fun to get into a system that was outside of the one I was so used to and have to, learn to adjust the coaching style and learn to adjust to the people that we had in our system uh, and what we were trying to do. And 
after three years and we had some success at, at El Camino, uh, Dave Serrano called me out at the University of Tennessee and he offered me the volunteer coaching job. And before he could even finish his sentence, I had said yes. And I just said, Hey, just whenever, whenever this is official, I am in. I don't care when I got to be there or how I got to get there, but I am in. And I had a chance to coach with uh, Coach Serrano, who was my coach at UC Irvine, and Greg Bergeron and Bill Mosiello, Greg Wallace. Um, Eric Thomas ended up coming on board to that staff when Mo went to TCU. And so I was around some unbelievable people at a really young age in life. And I, I think for me, that's kind of the consistent thing with me. Is, you know, I had Coach Serrano and Serge Brown and Bergie and Choder and Wally and uh, that staff at Irvine and then transition to Mike Gillespie and Jason Dietrich and Teddy Silva. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty special as a player. And then growing up, I got really lucky again at Tennessee and did the volunteer thing for three years. Um, and I wanted to get back to the West Coast. I was engaged at the time, came out here, um, actually tried getting a job at LMU in 2000. I think it was 15, if I'm not losing track. Um, and I ended up not getting it. It was the end of August when I found out I didn't get it. So I actually ended up back in junior college baseball with Scott Pickler at Cypress. I was running the infielders then. Transitioned back to El Camino um, College. And then the University of Utah hired me away. Went to work with Bill Kinneberg and that staff. Um, and then Coach Moore hired me as the recruiting coordinator. Um, that was, the hiring at Northridge was my first paid job. Um, it took me, I think it was eight or nine years if I didn't lose track to, to get a paid role. And, um, that's kind of what transitioned into this. A couple of years went by at Northridge and last summer was a crazy summer and coach Moore ended up going up to St. Mary's and I ended up getting lucky with coach Choate getting hired as the head coach at LMU and, and him giving my, me and my family an unbelievable job to end up here. So hopefully that's not a, a too long winded answer, but that was, that was how I got and all got started. No, that was perfect, man. I mean, just, uh, um, you know, everybody's background's a little different, right? In the game, obviously everybody, you know, when you're playing, um, you know, you think that, you know, it's going to turn out one way. And then for most guys, it definitely takes a turn and you go a different direction. And that's just kind of the beauty of the game because you don't really know exactly, you know, what, what it holds for you in your future. But, um, I mean, I feel fortunate to be involved at some capacity. Uh, I know you are, you know, you feel the same way. I mean, you know, when you love the game, you love the game and you'll be a part of it. And, you know, anywhere, anyhow, you know, and so um, just a little bit, you know, kind of transitioning into, you know, your your time at LMU. Um, what, you know, what's the experience been like so far? I mean, this is year one for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is year one. Obviously, you know, season season's over. But, but, um, yeah, half, 16 games of season one or yeah. whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. But LMU came off a, a very good season last year, right? They got to, did they get to, they got to a super, right? You guys got to a super. No, know? they lost. We lost in the finals of the regional, the UCLA. We we're two and oh, gotcha. In the finals of the regional lost to UCLA there. You gotcha. go to super regional. Okay. So, but still, you know, that's, that's, that's a good run. Just getting to a regional is tough. That's not, that's no easy feat. So, um, but you know, the, the, the experience so far. So, you know, you, you moved around a little bit the last few years, but now you're home, you know, you live, you back in Torrent or I'm assuming you live back in Torrance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Living in, living back at home, got a little one, got another one on the way. And so that's been an oh, unbelievable been, thing to be been, around family. You've been busy, man. Oh so, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know, how, 
how's how's that? I mean, I know you know. I mean, you've been as far away as Tennessee. You know, that's com- it's a long ways away from Torrance. But now you're back home. You're you're at LMU, which is you know a hop, skip, and the jump. You know, away from your front porch. So you know, what's that? What's that experience been like? A lot less time in the car. Yeah, you know, it's it's been unbelievable. I think the the first thing that stands out for me, and it just seems to be a consistent place with things that are successful, is it's it's got an unbelievable group of people that are in charge of it. I think it starts with Coach Choate and, and the job that he's doing as the head coach there. And you know, he's surrounded us with Coach Curtis and and giving myself an opportunity to be over there with some guys that've been coaching for a long time and had quite a bit of success. And so I think that's been such a blessing. And then. The foundation that Coach Gill laid ahead of us, I think, was was really, you know, the big piece to our success and moving into this thing. And Coach Choate had a big a big deal to do that, especially last year. I think they were 14th in the country in pitching, and they had the conference pitcher of the year and a couple All Americans. And so it ended up kind of being in a situation where, you know, the the right thing at the right time. And so when Coach Choate got the job, you know, while the coaching staff changed and altered a little bit. You know, the styles aren't too different from that West Coast style of baseball. And so that wasn't a huge transition for our guys. Um, and the players were the same. You know, we returned everybody. I think it was a third baseman, shortstop, and the Friday guy were the three big pieces that left and everything else was back. And so I think the big challenge as new coaches was coming in and figuring out who the people were, you know, and you, you can't come into a situation. This wasn't your, this wasn't your traditional coaching change where, you're coming in and you're saying, Hey, we need a clear house and, and clean things out and get our systems in and, and do all that kind of stuff. This was, Hey, we got to figure out what these guys were doing. They obviously had some success. There's some room for improvement, but they did a great job of competing and winning. I think that's what this place has done an excellent job of is, is getting the right people in the right situations and, and in the right places. And I think it showed with our players. And, and it showed with the staff. And I think that's why they had so, so much success. And, you know, I think the challenge at first was just checking the ego and, and being quiet for a little while and allowing those guys to, to figure out what they were and allowing them to figure out us. And the faster we did that, the more success we started to see. And so it was a, it was a fun challenge. Yeah. And um, first, okay, just kind of a little break up, break up the, the seriousness. Who's your favorite player there? At LMU? Who's your favorite player at LMU? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think my initial gut reaction goes to Trevin Ascara, okay. our, our first baseman. Uh-huh. I think, I don't know. Gosh, that's, that's really tough. I can't pinpoint that. I think impact-wise and what he was to our team, Ascara, no doubt. There's so many, there's a lot of different characters going on there. That's a tough question. You got Cooper Ewell behind the plate without that guy. Who knows where we would have been this year. He was all serious and he'd always whine about something. You had Oyama. <laughs> Oyama and left is a character. He's the smallest player in division one baseball, probably in any baseball in any baseball. And he's hilarious. <laughs> there's some, there's some pretty good, some pretty good personalities. Agnew was an unbelievable competitor. Our Friday guy. So it was, it's hard to just pin it on, on one guy. But I, I don't know where we would have been without a scare kind yeah. of driving that train. Yeah. I would I would think it's am harder. I fr- am I? You've been on podcasts before. Have you been on anything like this before? Once or twice, yeah, once or twice. Okay, so nobody's asked you that question. Obviously not. You no, know, nobody's ever it. asked me who you my would've... favorite player is at any program. <laughs> you would have had it. You would have yeah. had a prepared answer if you did. Okay. So... Yeah, nobody's ever asked. Me that. <laughs> so, um, you know, so 
and it takes a really, you know, I mean, to, to be competitive, it takes a special amount of, you know, chemistry and, you know, amongst the group and, and guys accepting the role, but not just accepting them, really thriving in them. Right. So, um, you know, it, it sounds like you got a good group. So how, how do you add, you know, going forward, right. Especially like now we're kind of in this weird transitional thing with the, with COVID-19 and all that stuff, but how do you, how do you continue to build that chemistry, you know, um, and, and culture from, a distance, I guess, you know, because you're going to have a lot of these guys back next year, right? Even maybe seniors that are opting to come back, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. We're in a little, we're in a better spot than most teams. Like we're, we're looking at still being under 40 guys next year, right at 40, you know? And so we're not looking at some of these programs you're dealing with. You're talking about like 50 plus players and stuff like that. I'm sure at some of them between, you know, seniors coming back, juniors, you thought would get drafted incoming high school guys. You thought may get drafted. Now, there's some programs probably dealing with some, some serious headaches on that kind of stuff. I think we're in a little better situation. It's still not, still not perfect. You know, it's hard, hard to be perfect ever. I think we got, I think we're, we're lucky because we don't, we don't early recruit a ton. And so it put us in a place where we had the majority of our 20 class done. We still had some room to improve and a couple guys to go get for this year's class. And so I think that was such a big thing was, you know, when it all happened, now the challenge was like the transition and what we were looking for. That was like one of the shifts was like, Oh, okay, well now this guy may be coming back or that guy may be coming back. And so once we had those kind of conversations with seniors that said, Hey, I'm not going to take a few thousand bucks as a free agent or whatever it might be that allowed us to say, okay, well now we can go get, X, Y, or Z that may improve this other thing that we didn't think we were going to be able to get because we wouldn't have the money or the spot. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a fun challenge. I think that the grad transfer comes into play a little bit more now for us. You know, that's something that it allows us to balance our books because I think the issues that we're seeing further down the line are the 21 and the 22 class where the scholarship issues, depending on how much relief we get in those next couple years, how much that's going to be able to help us. I think that's kind of what we're going to be able to see is that it may take a couple of years of getting some old guys to come in and allow us to, to help ourselves here and, and be able to still recruit those 21s and get into those 22s a little bit. So I think that'll be a, a fun challenge to kind of get into these next couple of years. But I, I think you hit it on the head. Like, you know, you're, you're trying to recruit to your culture and you hear that word, a lot of that buzzword of like culture and, and people and your, all that other kind of stuff. And like for us, and the way we look at it, like the culture is the people. And so if we want to have a certain type of culture, if we want competitive individuals that are looking to get after it, that are excited about coming to the field to get a little bit better every day and, and bring that positive energy with them, like we better go recruit those type of people, you know? So if, if there's low motor guys that, you know, are very talented, but maybe their personalities are just slow or maybe they don't like to communicate or maybe they just, you know, whatever it may be, we really struggle recruiting those type of guys we're looking for certain individuals that, that fit the mold of what we're looking for. And, you know, I think the best thing kids can do is just be themselves and learn to have good conversations and be who they are on the phone. And so it allows us when, when we're moving forward in this thing to continue to, to dive into that stuff. You know, I think the hardest challenge right now, Joe is 21s and in 22s, because I think there's still some question marks in, in terms of roster of what's going to be happening in the next year. And the other question mark is like, what's going to happen this summer? I'm sure there's obviously some changes already with scheduling and tournaments, but 
we don't like to recruit blind and we don't like to recruit just off video and social media and that kind of stuff. You know, you got to find out who the player is. What's he like when he fails? What's he like when it's going well? I want to hear him talking to his teammates when I stand by the dugout. I want to sit in the crowd with the parents when they're going nuts and listen to those people yap. You know, there's, there's so much work to be done. So that's one of our challenges is kind of navigating like, at what pace do we want to move over this next period of time here? Because obviously there's a little bit of a new normal going on. And I think the way that you choose to navigate it is, is going to dictate a lot of your future. So right now we're kind of keeping some things a little bit closer to the vest than we normally would, where we'd be out seeing all these guys right away in the spring and summer. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's always going to be like a, there's a ton of moving pieces when you're recruiting, right? So yeah, um, it's always going to be, you know, following guys and losing guys because they go commit somewhere else. And, you know, how do you replace those, those prospects and, you know, all, you know, it's a, it's a tough game for you guys. So, you know, my, I, I think the message I want to kind of convey from that from, you know, to parents and players is that it's a, you know, younger high school parents and players. Um, it's, it's not always, you know, just set in stone with, you know, uh, you know, if, if you're getting attention from a school, right, they, they have to kind of build depth in your position. They got to build depth in your grad class to make sure that you get the, um, to make sure they get the right guys to fill in because if guys fall off, they got to replace it somehow. If guys aren't eligible, you know, going into the, the spring, there's, there's issues there. There's always, it's, there's a trickle down effect with every move that's made um, in college baseball. Um, so it's um it's not always just cut and dry this whole this whole recruiting process thing because there could be interest one day right from I mean I'm not saying you guys do this but there could be interest from a college one day in a player and then all of a sudden the interest just drops you know like they stop, there's you know very little communication uh, from colleges to the player um, and you know after you know maybe after months of like consistent you know emails or field level messages or whatever you know however however coaches want to communicate or choose to communicate these days but. It just happens because there's just so many things, and then there's coaching moves and the and the and the nature of college coaching and how guys are always moving around. You know, there's so many because there's so many moving pieces there and so many variables there that the outcome doesn't always turn out the same way um, that 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 the players and parents expect it to uh, to go. So it's uh you know so when they come to me or they come to us with these questions a lot of times i don't even know the answer and i have to like kind of like bs it sometimes <laughs> but it's it's um it's you know really that's what it comes down to I, and and the the common denominator is that it's always going to work out if you stay with it for these players right it's always you're going to find a place to play if you really want to play you know you got to really believe that that's got to be ingrained in you so you know trust the process and i know everybody says that trust the process everybody it's on everybody's instagram and get 1% better every day. Everybody says that stuff, but yeah, it's, yeah. but that's really, I mean, there's, there's a reason it's cliche because there's a lot of truth in that, you know? So if you believe that it's going to work out, it's going to work out because that's going to, that's going to add to your, you know, to the, the work ethic. And that's going to add to, you know, if you just love the game and you play the game, it's going to take you somewhere, you know? So. Oh yeah. You know, I, I think you hit it on the head and like, you had a few good points here too. And like, this thing is always changing. Like there's major ebbs and flows going on all the time. And if you, if you're only talking to one shortstop or one center fielder and you're a recruiting guy, like you're going to get caught with your pants down way too often. You know, like you, you fall in love with a guy and you offer him a huge scholarship and he's the right fit. And all of a sudden somebody comes in and they got a prettier dress on and, you know, got a little better plastic work done. And, and all of a sudden that dude's gone. 
you know, and now you, you can't be like, Oh no, like I can't believe he chose the prettier girls than us. Like it was a perfect fit. And it's like, well, yep. whether you believe it or not, he did and he's gone. And so who's next. And so I think like you got to understand like, that's how that stuff's going. If you're a family or you're a player and it's not a personal thing, like the biggest key to understand is like, you can only control what you can. And so like why you said the cliche stuff, like they don't control when we call or if we call or how many times we call. And sometimes you get as much as one conversation and you get on the phone and you're bad on the phone or you try to lie about something or, you know, you try to cover it up or whatever it might be. Like, we're going to find out. It's our job to find out, you know, it's our job to have hard conversations and, and learn the truth about families and what the kids really like on and off the field. And, you know, everything matters. You know, one of the first things we're going to do is follow the guy on Twitter and follow the guy on Instagram. And if he's posting like a maniac and it's stuff that's not very beneficial to, to the program, like there's a pretty good chance that we can't continue to go down that road with that guy. Right. So it's, it's, it's very true. Like you're saying, there's so many different things that dictate where and how we're doing and what's going on with recruiting at that given time. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, you, we can go on, on and on about this stuff all day long. Right. And we can, you know, we can touch on all these different things and, you know, really it's just, I, I want to convey just a simple message when we do these things. And, and I want to, you know, try to, you know, provide as, as, as much details as we can on with that message. But uh, I think it's real simple, you know, I mean, you know, do the best you can, you know, um, you know, wake up and have purpose, you know, don't, you know, don't go to bed, you know, regretting that you weren't, you know, productive enough that day and anything you want to pursue and, you know, just have fun in the whole, in the whole process, because it's going to be, if you don't, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to drive you nuts sometimes, you know, especially parents, you know, it, yeah. Oh, and anybody, I think it's like anything you want to be successful at, like you better be willing to put your nose down and, and go to work at it. Yeah. You know, people aren't just good at stuff by accident. Like even those people that you see in the major leagues, you're like, oh, the guy's just more talented than everybody. Like, well, yeah, he's more talented than everybody and he takes thousands more swings than everybody and he thinks about <laughs> it more and he, he eats the right thing and he sleeps the right amount. Like, you know, if you want it bad enough. Now, I think there comes a point like you have to be realistic with like your own evaluation of yourself. You know, like if you're running a, seven four sixty and you you don't hit and your arms below average and you're saying like hey i want to come to be center fielder at loyola marymount to play your physical traits and attributes just aren't good enough to do that and that's okay like that doesn't mean that you're not good enough to go and play the outfield position somewhere else or at another school or whatever and i think that's like the thing that gets missing sometimes is you know we get so many emails from kids and it's it's flattering because you're pumped you're like i'm love that people want to come and play here that are interested in lmu and it's awesome but Sometimes you're looking at some measurables and you're like, man, is this guy nuts? Like, we don't have one guy on our whole field that's doing that. Right. Like, not one, you know? And so, you know, let alone, like, at a premier position or something. I think that's a frustrating thing and a hard thing sometimes for kids. But, you know, that's you're better off doing that because now you can put your focus and your work into, like, hey, you know what? This is what I am right now. But if I can look at this process of how I'm going to get better over this time, and that's where you guys come into play on your end of, like, hey, Coach Joe, like, and where am I at and what can I work on? And they can't take it personal. It's never a personal thing when you're trying to tell somebody to get better. And I think a lot of kids, a lot of people, shoot, I struggle with it sometimes. Like when you're getting constructive criticism from somebody that's trying to help, you know, it can dent your ego. It can make you, it can make you sensitive sometimes. Right. You know, and I think that's, that's a hard thing for people to be able to say, hey, you know what? He's not trying to just hurt my feelings just to be a jerk. Like he's trying to make me better. He's trying to make me a better player, a better person, you know, like, my head coach gets mad at me sometimes, you know, that's part of the game. 
like, man, T.A., how do we not get that guy? Like, you got to be on that or whatever. He's like, you know what? He's right. Like, I could have done a better job of, of being more organized than that or, or being on the right thing. And maybe I misevaluated something or whatever it is. And it hurts when you first hear it. And then you take a step back and you're like, dang, like, he's probably right. Like, I could have done a little better job on some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think the same goes for our guys. Shoot, it happens at every level. And I think the earlier kids start to say, like, hey, they're not trying to just be jerks. And there's a difference. Like, you know when somebody's being a jerk. You know, like, you know when somebody's blowing you up and you're just like, okay. Like, I get it. I get it. I understand. Like, now you're just ripping me. But, like, there's a difference between that and then somebody that's approaching you with some truth that may be hard to hear and saying, okay, like, what's this guy really trying to tell me right now? You know? Right. And so I think I think that's a, a fun challenge for guys. So I know it's a challenge for me sometimes and it's like, oh, I'm just going to keep calling people and I'm going to keep doing this and keep doing that. And it's like, Hey, maybe I should take a step back and slow down every once in a while. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's a good message, man. And I, you know, we're kind of getting to that point. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you had a super busy day today. <laughs> and, uh, and hey, I managed to stay more busy sometimes during this than I do because you're used to, you're out of your routine. Yeah. So you've got to like recreate your routine. My three-year-old's a maniac. She's got more juice than anybody I've ever met. So Not more than you. Know, that, oh, buddy, she crushes me. <laughs> uh, well, enjoy that, man. Enjoy it. Because I, I, I mean, my kids are still young, but not as young as yours. And I miss when they were, you know, when they were babies and toddlers and, you know, when they didn't, when they didn't talk trash to me. So, but, um, yeah. but, um, all right, man, I, I appreciate you, Tony. You know, I appreciate you know, you taking the time. I appreciate our friendship. Um, you know, I, I hope to get you back on here again another time, and we can hash it out again. And and you know, after I get some more questions about, uh, you know, I don't, I don't. I mean, there's no such thing as stupid questions, but you have those questions where you kind of like, you know, you kind of scratch your head when these parents ask you. So if I ever get any more of those, I'm just gonna either one, yeah. I'm gonna point them to this episode. Or two, we're going to yeah. record another one and we're going to answer it. So, because a lot of times when parents have questions, it's going to answer a lot. Like a lot of other parents have that same question. So, I'm going to bring that back to you and I'm sure you're going to answer it, um, do it. much more clearly. Yeah, do it. For, for, than I could. So, but yeah, man, thanks again. Um, to everybody out there listening, thanks for listening in and hope you got something from this. Um, you know, want to do some research on LMU baseball, Loyola Marymount baseball, do it on the campus. If it's someplace that you feel that you can, uh, that you'd like to go to school, um, someplace you feel like you'd like to play baseball at, um, or if you're just interested in what's going on on, on, you know, your Marina Del Rey, you know, go ahead and, and look that up too. But, um, yeah, thanks again, Tony. You're the best uh, guys out there. Hit the subscribe button, share this with a friend, re- you know, leave a review. If you put a two star rating, Okay, don't don't come back. Three stars I can live with, right? Because I know Tony's going to get off and hit the two stars, so I'm going to give him five something. only. <laughs> five only. Uh, only on yours, but then you know everybody else he gets. They, Canem's going to get a two probably from you. So um, yeah, he he doesn't need any more stars. They got enough help. <laughs> All right, man. No, thanks again, and thanks everybody, and we'll talk to you guys soon.